Hey, welcome back. This is the biggest bubble that we will ever see in our lifetime. That's what I want to talk about today. Now, of course, I could be presumptuous in, in saying that, but, but certainly looking at the stock market today, as well as the other markets, uh, the real estate market, the bond market, certainly, uh, it, it seems so obvious to me that we're in a bubble. Now, obviously, I don't want to be sensationalist about this. I don't want to act like I'm just totally flabbergasted by this. This has been the trend for a long time. And we know that just because something's in a bubble doesn't mean that it needs to drop like a stone the next day. Uh, this, Arguably, this economy, the stock market, the bond market, real estate market, they've been in bubbles for, for many years now, and, and they just continue to be blown up. And yet, you know, there's this notion that uh, the the stock market today represents the economy. And yet, if you actually look at the stock market today, it's actually more like representing uh, 1.5 of, of the economy, meaning that the, the current stock market, as it continues to, to, to charge higher here in the United States, the U.S. stock market, the total market cap is 154% of GDP. 154% essentially of the economy. Now that's off of, of the lows back in 2016 of around 100%. Uh, the long-term average is actually well under 100%. It's up from uh, one year ago uh, when it was slightly under 130%. And it continues to move up and up. And then you have these crazy, obviously the whole markets, the Dow Jones, S&P, NASDAQ, etc., continues to move higher and higher. And yet you also have these crazy stories of these specific stocks, which which we can you know talk about here, uh, continuing to move to these these insane new highs. Tesla, that's one that's I, I've ranted against in the past, and and uh, as far as I'm concerned, does not have a sustainable business model. Uh, has not proven to me that it can be sustainably profitable and, and in all reality uh, probably warrants a market cap in, in the single digits in terms of billions of dollars. And yet right now with the stock price recently moving over $500 a share for the first time ever, its market cap is north of $93 billion. Tesla, I mean, is that rational? I mean, so much of, of what today is in today's markets, today's economies is not rational. But, but to put that in perspective, uh, maybe this is going to be slightly skewed if you live in Southern California, uh, you know, specifically the, the wealthier portions of, of Southern California or maybe D.C. or New York City or something like that. But, but honestly, how many new or just period, how many cars do you see on the road that are Tesla branded? I mean, I know for me, it's, it's maybe a one in 100. Uh, of course, this is northern Minnesota, not the wealthiest part. And, and obviously, there's drawbacks to, to uh, EVs in, in colder climates, but maybe 1%, maybe, probably closer to like 0.1%, right? Uh, how many GM vehicles, GM branded, that's, that's Chevy and GM and some other brands, and, and Ford-branded vehicles you see on the road today. I mean, it's they're very common. So, so the reason I, I bring up that comparison is that as it stands right now, Tesla's market cap is greater than that of not GM's, not Ford's, but actually GM and Ford's combined. I mean, it's, it's entirely predicated in theory, if there's any justification for the valuation, predicated on future profits, future success. And yet we have these... these uh, constant boondoggles coming out of is that the right term boondoggles coming out of this company uh regarding their their tesla model y which is actually surprisingly similar to, similar to the model 3 they had their cyber truck that came out and and of course that was a 
that was a uh, fiasco with with the unveiling of that. And neither of those products are, are anywhere near coming to market. Tesla has a history of, of being very poor at bringing uh, vehicles to market at scale, right? And yet we're talking about a valuation approaching $100 billion. Or how about Apple? Apple's another one that continues to to charge higher, uh, outpacing most of the rest of the market. Uh, as it stands right now, Apple's over $300 a share. 313 actually. Uh, that's that's basically an all-time high for this stock. It's well off of, of any of the previous highs. As it stands right now, a market cap approaching $1.4 trillion. Now, Apple, as opposed to Tesla, has a pretty decent business model, is profitable, sitting on a huge pile of cash rather than a huge pile of debt. Yeah, they have a lot of things going for them. But, but honestly... Even if we're going to say that some of these trends, such as the trends towards Android smartphones and and uh, away from from iPhones being the the it phone and whatnot, and as well as some of these trade war uh, implications, as opposed to as it as it uh, relates to Apple and whatnot, even if we put those aside, you know, even if Apple continues to be a, a relatively profitable company, does it justify valuation of three hundred and thirteen? a share, uh, market cap, almost $1.4 trillion. Probably not, right? And, and, and we'll get into more about why some of these stocks continue to blow up so much, but, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, sometimes it's, I guess I'm, I'm left sort of flabbergasted. Microsoft, another trillion plus dollar company, $1.24 trillion. Uh, Amazon, uh, which was, I want to say, one of the first trillion-dollar companies, uh, just shy of a trillion dollars, $938, $939 billion, just in Amazon, right? And so we have these cases of just these exceptional uh, performers in these markets to the point where, where these markets, uh, NASDAQ, Dow Jones, S&P, uh, the gains that you see in their overall indexes uh, are Primarily, I shouldn't say primarily, but but the bulk of them, a good chunk of them, are coming from just a couple of stocks. And and the truth about some of these stocks, for example, Apple, you, you ask yourself, why is this happening? Why does this bubble in the stock market continue to to blow up? And a lot of it ultimately comes down to stock buybacks and and flow of money. And that's a crazy thing because you can go on CNBC or, or whatever and you can find a, a Jim Cramer, you can find some pundit that is going to go out there and tell you that that somehow this valuation is justified for Apple. And yet I think people that know anything about stocks, even those that are buying Apple right now, uh, are, are only going to be buying it because they expect it to go higher and because they know uh, the the implications of things like massive stock buyback programs, which which Apple's certainly involved in, or uh, things like um, uh, uh, flow of money from foreign foreigners, foreign investors, uh, certainly domestic investors, uh, etc., uh, as it relates to to money flowing into to U.S. domestic stocks. I mean, Apple is one of those stocks that is is seen as a blue chip stock by you name it. I mean, and sovereign wealth funds around the world or or foreign investors. I mean, it's a huge uh, part of that, right? I mean, that's ultimately where all this is coming from. And so then uh, on top of that, you have people piling in. And, and the sad thing about this, though, is, is like, I get it. If you want to buy Tesla, if you want to buy Apple right now, and you have some good argument about how it's going to go higher. Well, so be it. I mean, I would, I would argue that the 
the risk of the stock declining by by 20%, by 50% is greater than another 10 or 20% move up. But of course, I probably would have said that six months ago and I would have been wrong. But so you can make that argument. But what I don't get is, is when people make an argument and it's based on, it's predicated on the, the company somehow being worth that much, uh, that, that that valuation is justified based on sales and profits, et cetera. It's very hard to justify that for, for Apple or for Microsoft and, and almost impossible for, for a company like Tesla, which is hardly profitable on a good quarter, right? It's, it's insane, right? The biggest market bubble, the biggest bubble in our lifetimes. And that's just a stock market. I mean, the bond bubble is, is arguably uh, just impactful, if not more. I mean, keep in mind that that for every stock market bubble, there's oftentimes also a corporate debt bubble. And and in today's world, we, we have not only a massive corporate debt bubble where you have a ton of stocks that are, uh, a ton of companies that are essentially um, um, borrowing at a, a far lower rate than, than they should be, than their financials suggest, but you also have a sovereign debt bubble, right? And and I, what I mean by that, I think it's important to distinguish what I mean by a sovereign debt bubble. When I say sovereign debt bubble, I mean not only is there a lot of debt around the world. I mean that's that's obvious. But the rate at which these these governments are are able to borrow money at, that is where the bubble is really at. I mean it's one thing to have uh what uh, 23 trillion dollars worth of debt here in the United States. That's obviously a bubble of sovereign debt. But then to go on and say, oh, they can borrow a 10-year bond at, uh, let's say, 1.8%. That is where the bubble is because 1.8%. I mean, you have to remember that bonds and price uh, move in opposite directions with, with, a, with a lower yield that's basically a higher price. 1.8% on, on a government that is $23 trillion in debt right? A, a, a debt load that far exceeds GDP. That is where the bubble is at. I mean, 1.8%. I mean, you have to remember that that it was back in September, uh, you know, the sovereign debt bubble around the world has has deflated somewhat in the last six to nine months. But but about six months ago, it was something like, I want to say that the high watermark was around $17 trillion worth of sovereign debt around the world that was negative yielding in nominal terms, meaning the actual uh, uh, yield on this debt was negative, not not real rates when you take into account inflation, but in nominal terms, negative. $17 trillion, meaning a bondholder in theory is buying a bond with, with a whatever expiration date, 10 years in the future, and they expect to essentially collect less money when it's all said and done than what they paid for it. That's how negative yield works. And again, how does it work with negative yield? It's, it's very similar to with stocks. They expect the price to go higher. It's it's not because it. I think most investors think that that's somehow a good buy. It's not. I, I think that's even more obvious than, than saying that Tesla is is a uh, is a, a company that's not very profitable and doesn't justify a ninety three billion dollar valuation. Um, even more obvious than that is that a negative yielding bond is is not a good idea if you're holding it until, until maturation. Um, no, they're buying it because they're they're expecting the price to to move up more, right? That's ultimately what it comes down to, right? But but we're talking about the sovereign debt bubble, this corporate debt bubble, this stock market bubble, and and to maybe a bit of a lesser extent, a real estate bubble, 
the biggest bubble that any of us will likely ever see in our lifetimes. I mean, according to these valuations, I, I would argue this debt bubble that we see right now is uh, debt and, and stock market asset bubble is larger than what we saw in 1929 with with a huge crash and the ensuing Great Depression then. Our, uh, almost for sure larger than anything we had in, in 2001. I mean, maybe with the individual companies, right? But but larger than the Bitcoin bubble of twenty what seventeen or eighteen, uh, larger than the bubble leading up to the Great Recession. This is massive. And and again, I'll remind you, this isn't me saying that this is going to fall apart any day now. What I am saying though is that there's no way this can end well. Ultimately, this is all all predicated on easy money. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. If you don't have central banks and governments backing up this entire bubble in the form of, of uh, you know, ultimately through through quantitative easing, through zero interest rate, negative interest rate, or low interest rate policy, this whole thing falls apart. I mean, do you, if you want to know if something's a bubble or not, you know, ask yourself what happens when a given central bank, such as the Fed for U.S. assets or the ECB for European assets, you know, what happens when that central bank raises interest rates by half a percentage point. It would be normal for a market to go down in such a situation. It would be normal to have some volatility. But I don't, I, I can't even imagine what would happen today because the entire system is, is ultimately reliant on easy money, liquidity, credit growth. I mean, that's all that this system is today. And so, no, I'm not here telling you that it's going to fall apart any day now. But in many ways, this is, I'll put it this way. You ever see like a, a couple that, you know, and I try not to be a too, too judgmental of a person, but you ever see a couple that you know is probably not right for each other, right? Um, they're, they're, and, and, and maybe it's because they just aren't a good fit. Maybe it's because both of them just aren't mature at all or whatever but 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 regardless you see them go through this period in their relationship where they're in that kind of infatuation phase where everything is awesome everything is great um and and they're going to go all the way they're going to get married they're going to spend their lives together because everything's perfect because they haven't faced uh challenges they haven't had to address differences that they have from each other and and some of those relationships absolutely work out but but you ever see some of those where you're just like this is great but it's almost like watching a train wreck in slow motion the trains just haven't crashed yet heck the the conductors haven't even looked around the 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 the, the bend on this this mountain pass or this this tunnel and see that another train is barreling towards them. I mean, that's what it feels like here. Watching this market continue to melt up and, and these crazy valuations, the, the biggest bubble that we'll ever see in our lifetimes, knowing that maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, next month, next year, but eventually the, the blow up of this is going to be tremendous. And, and I know, I know what some people are thinking and what many buyers of this market are thinking. There's always the Fed put. There's always the Powell put. There's always markets will always be backed up by central banks and governments. And and to some extent, I would say uh, there's some merit to that argument. But then you just have a problem of inflation. Then you have a problem of of 
uh, uh, oppression uh, in economies where, where rates are driven lower and lower and retirees have problems retiring and inflation gets out of control because because rates for debts are far, far, far too low. And, and we already, to some extent, have that problem today. You know, inflation, as I was talking about nominal rates earlier, you know, currently, what, for the U.S., shy of 2% for the 10-year 10 10 year bond. If we're looking at real rates relative to inflation, that's already negative yielding, basically, if you look at official numbers. Uh, last time I checked, this is probably a month or two dated. Um, inflation, according to the official numbers, was between 1.6 and 2.2%. So it's around negative, pretty, pretty break even. But if you look at what inflation really is, which is actually probably closer to 5%, 4%, 5%, 6%, maybe higher, then it's deeply negative yielding. Most sovereign debt for for decent countries, first world countries around the world, is negative yielding in terms of real uh, terms. So that inflation's already here. It's just a matter of when will it get out of control and when will people realize just how bad it is. And and that ultimately, uh, the very thing that's in place to to keep this whole thing melting up for and then further, it has ultimately become our, our worst enemy because nobody likes inflation. You know, with the exception of those that hold real wealth, precious metals, real estate, uh, etc., um, and and those that have the power of of the government to to back them up. I'm talking the people like Maduro, and eventually the people that are you know in charge of 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 U.S. and and various European countries, etc. It won't hurt them so much, but but 99% of the population, the 99%, uh, they're going to be absolutely decimated by this, and and eventually they'll be scapegoats. They'll be the Trumps. They'll be the Boris Johnson, Johnsons or whoever comes next. Or There'll be scapegoats that will get blamed for an inflationary collapse. But ultimately, it's going to be on the Fed's watch. It's going to be in the ECB. It's going to be in the Bank of Japan's watch that this all comes tumbling down. As always, thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast and God bless.